how happy is the blameless vessel's lot. The world forgetting by the world forgot. Eternal sunshine of a spotless mind. Each prayer accepted and each wish resigned. Is there any risk of brain damage? Well, uh, technically speaking, the procedure is brain damage, but it's, it's on a par with a night of heavy drinking. Nothing you'll miss. What won't I miss? <sighs> it's time for a little something. I forget. My notes say I'm Professor Robert E.G. Black, and I'm here with Parker Johnston from Dick Tracy Minute, and it's time to discuss Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. But they're erasing me. I have no memory of any of this. I see your name on the screen, so Parker, take it away. Ah, it's uh, it's great to be here. I'm <laughs> a big fan of your Ex Mock in a Minute podcast, and I'm Thank stoked you. to be on the uh, the Lemming trilogy this week. <laughs> so you said this was the movie of the three that you have seen the least. That's right. Actually, I had only seen it one time before getting involved in this podcast appearance. Okay, and it's interesting. So I'd I'd seen it the one time when I was in my late teens. And I think it had been out for five or six years. It was when I was catching up on. Yeah, it had been out for four years when I saw this in okay. 2008. I had never been in a relationship at the time. <laughs> I was a big, you know, romantic, emotional teen. And I was always very invested in romantic shows and films. But I can tell you this film, very different as a 32-year-old man with a long history of relationships <laughs> than it was as a teen. I loved it at the time. I loved the mastery of dreamlikeness in it. Like I'm a huge fanatic about dreams. Dreams are notoriously depicted inaccurately in yeah. a lot of things, right? And the stuff that they did when going through Joel's memories is they're racing and people are different sizes and different ages and all of that. And it's this these natural transitions. I thought that was the, the best depiction of uh, the inner kind of subconscious that I'd ever seen at the time. And, and it stuck yeah. with me forever. And the relationship stuff just kind of sinks in much later. It's a great combination of Charlie Kaufman's very unique storytelling, Michelle Gondry's unique directing, and then limitations of what they could actually do on the budget they had. Mm -hmm. Ended up producing a perfect combo of that dreamlike stuff and the transitions from scene to scene that work so well, like in a dream. Like You don't go places, you just are places mm -hmm. and you are yourself at a certain age or in a certain role. And you just have to accept it. Even the, the, in terms of budget, I think before I'd even seen the film, the first clip I saw from it in some making of thing that they were showing on TV or at the Oscars or something was Jim Carrey being on one side of the camera talking and he's wearing his toque and then the shot pans to the middle and then it pans over further and it's Joel again without the toque and they were showing how they were filming it with him just taking off the hat, running around the camera, climbing mm -hmm. over and the other side. And it just reminded me of the types of things that the little films my friends and I would make with my camcorder as a kid and doing tricks like that. And it was so cool seeing that shamelessly in a prestige film. There's a great one with Clementine when she's leaving his apartment and the camera spins around and we see a double in one doorway, mm -hmm. but she has enough time to go around the camera and get to the exit so that when the camera goes back, it's her. They did it practically. All they needed is one double for one little brief bit, and she had enough time to get around. At this point in the movie, they were not to that yet. No. Like the opening credits are still ending in this minute. This is still a very regular film like Groundhog Day and not so much like Ex Machina. Right now, this could just be a normal film 
a guy is driving down the street. They're really steep streets. This is maybe the most inane note I've ever taken on a film, but the steep street residential, somebody driving down it at the beginning of a film always reminds me of Mrs. Doubtfire. This is not in San Francisco, but this feels like the Doubtfire opening that way. It's going to be a very different film. Yeah, this is Yonkers. Ah, of course. Yeah. So it doesn't, as far as I know, have a lot of hills. But yeah, this street they're filming on makes it look like it does. Credits are still ending. He's driving. I did notice, and I should have noticed it last time and remarked on it. He has a mark on the side of his face mm-hmm. that we won't know what that's for until later in the movie. Ink stain, and it kind of looks like, just like he's got a birthmark there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we might not notice it up until now because we might think maybe it was there the whole time. But also, last minute was covered by his hat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had to go back and check why we didn't see it beforehand because I was wondering. It was dark in the car. Exactly, right? But I was thinking like, oh, are they already tricking us? And the the previous, the establishing shot is not when he's gone and had the ink stain put on it in place. Yeah, but it's not. It's just that it was covered by his hat. Yeah. He arrives outside his apartment. This is Edendale Apartments, 123 Valentine Lane in Yonkers. Hmm. He pulls in the driveway and we cut immediately to a different angle of the driveway looking through the windshield of that we'll learn is a van as new characters are arriving, Stan and Patrick, as we get the screenplay credit for Charlie Kaufman. There's a dent in the side of his car in the driver's door as well. Yes. Which at the beginning of the movie, he saw that it was damaged. Mm -hmm. This is before he found it dented though. Right. Yeah. He finds it dented tomorrow. I was trying to remember if the beginning of the film is already fooling with us with the, uh, the timeline, but it isn't, yeah, it's it's straightforward. This is where it's fooling with us because this is now okay. before what we've seen. Okay, okay, yeah. And then it comes back to it later. Yeah. So yeah, he's just been crying in the car, of course. That's still all contiguous with him pulling into the house. Yeah. He's got a look of shock on his face, like he covers his mouth with his hand. Like I, I interpreted it as he's really realizing what he's signed up for. Mm-hmm. And it's a horrible thing, in my opinion. A lot of people love the like I, I guess my question for you is. Like, do you love the idea of getting this, of of erasing your memory of something good or bad, either to forget it or to do it over again? I think doing it to do it over again would be a bad idea, but I think doing it to any memory that's too long ago is a bad idea Mm -hmm. because every intervening thing you've done is connected to that and your choices you make are influenced by that. It's a nice thought to think something sad happened, you want to forget it. But I'd say only if it just happened and it's something simple that doesn't involve other people. The fact that they send postcards out to people saying, please don't mention this person to them anymore is weird. <laughs> I always did appreciate the, uh, the legwork that the film does like that, though, to uh, like a the postcards, because otherwise the jig would just be up immediately. But mm-hmm. the whole notion of having to create the web of related memories to your memory. Yeah. Obviously, if you're doing it for real, that would just go on forever. Every memory right. is connected to everything else. But it, this was the first song I'd seen even consider that, like with, you know, having him forget about Huckleberry Hound and Oh My Darling Clementine. and Or just a few minutes ago, forgetting Constellations. Yeah. like that. The movie doesn't tell us that's why he doesn't know about them, but that's my interpretation, is he doesn't remember because she asked about them. Exactly. And that would be... Like, I know that's how my memory works. Everything is connected to everything else. I I can't imagine successfully doing this just because there's so, so many different things associated with like, you know, everything's by reference, but we all know that feeling of, yeah, like looking at a constellation and it doesn't matter if, you know, somebody that you cared about referenced it passingly five years ago, sometimes 
they're the main thing you associate with that. So that's got to go. Right. Where does it end? The wishful notion I always see for people wanting to erase their memories is wanting to erase your memory of a show or a game or a book. Right. To watch it again for the first time. Baffling idea. I've never understood it. You're a different person now. That means losing all the good memories of, of everything you've done with it since then. If you could temporarily remove it, that could be interesting. Oh, Absolutely. And then, yeah, just remember it after each time. Put it back in and compare the two. That would be great. You could get an unlimited number of first viewings. It's just always frustrating to imagine. If you erase your memory of watching something for the first time and then you watch it again, you've still only watched it for the first time once. Like you've gained nothing, right? Right. So it's, anyway, all of that is just me thinking that his look of of shock and horror where he's literally covering his mouth here is is him just kind of gasping at what he is about to let go and and stealing himself for this drama and yeah yeah the same thing as once the van is pulling up like we hear them looking for his address 159 what number is that like i don't know where that is jesus christ you think they light the number at least put a number on it and then they're like is that him and we got directed by michael gondry's on the screen is this this is the moment the movie's starting and like, I think so. Yeah, that's him. And Patrick waves and laughs. And Joel, it's clearly he like, you can see him seeing out of the corner of his eye who's there and mm-hmm. he knows who this is. In the script, he interacts with his voiceover. And he's like, the driver waves, so casual, friendly. And then in voiceover, he's like, I'm like a joke to them. I guess they figure they can act like they want. They don't have to worry about me remembering, which is horrible. But even though he notices, he doesn't look at them. He doesn't acknowledge that they're there. Like he's having trouble with his own decision. Meanwhile, he's carrying that plastic bag, which we'll learn later. He's got new pajamas in there that he bought just for this because he's going to have people in his apartment while he's sleeping. He wants to look nice. And yeah, it's not a good thing that he's doing. Like Nathan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he knows what he's doing is bad. And he, even just the idea of inviting strangers into your home i mean like obviously that's very superficially similar to x Machina, but the uh more like i think nathan you know watching caleb's porn preferences and building this whole profile of caleb from his deep dark secrets built doing this to everyone in the world through his blue book search engine right similar kind of premise of violation here with it's it's always been a huge caveat i think to the procedure in this film that he's got to sign up for letting these two hooligans into his apartment and do it like that. So he doesn't remember that he's done it. Mm-hmm. It always seemed like he yeah, has a been. pill he's supposed to take. Exactly. To so knock himself out. You got to set up at least like Nathan, a battery powered camera in your apartment and no, but then, <laughs> then the jigs up anyway, cause you don't want to remember you've done it. It's, it's always been a tough one. I, I appreciate right. That's it. the biggest problem is you have to know you did it. Yeah. You can't leave yourself confused. Yeah. Or it will fall apart. <sighs> yeah. It's just going to make you miserable. Tomorrow, he woke up in a funk. He doesn't know why, because he doesn't remember that he signed up for this. Temporarily, that's nice. But if that funk doesn't wear off, it's not nice. We see with Mary later, she's still as interested in Mirzwiak. She doesn't know she got there already and it went badly. They're doomed. Yeah, it's a terrible thing. It's, yeah. I mean, the obviously like one of the most kind of memorable you know one-off characters in the film is the the lady who's there with the box of everything from her dog that's passed away oh, like yeah again i've always just found that to be you know like what a terrible choice <laughs> like that that might be a more reasonable use of it though because people do replace their pets outright that's true you know? she doesn't want to deal with that grief just wants to move on and it's a different sort of forgetting too because like clementine's out there living her life she doesn't cease to exist by him forgetting her. But for, I guess erasing your memory of a pet, it's like 
now no one remembers them, right? It's like they yeah. never existed. So that always just felt like this, this terrible crime. But right, they each have their lives. Maybe that woman doesn't have a much of a life, and that's all she had was a pet. Yeah. So put it aside, get a new one. Yeah. I'm okay with her. <laughs> just like in the original script, started with Clementine as an old woman coming into Lacuna. Really? That's not as bad. Like they've done this. I they say a specific number. I think it's implied they've done this like eight times hmm. at that point. I'm glad the movie doesn't do with that. It's more hopeful that they might have a chance. Yeah, I liked the ambiguity. The ending and the the looping of the very last shot, I always took to, you know, it's I, I like that ambiguity in a lot of films. There, there's always kind of the, the comparison with, so like Inception, right? Everyone obsesses over, you know, if the top could stop spinning at yeah. the end. And, and there have been people who, you know, like they've spun a real top. They've done all the numbers in terms of like, if it's a real top, could it have spun for this long without falling? When would it start to wobble? <laughs> Where I'm going with this is the best response to all of that I've seen was always Christopher Nolan did not run out of film. He showed you the exact amount. Yeah, he filmed it. He wanted it to be ambiguous. I, I like the the ambiguity of the ending here. I like the ambiguity of Ex Machina. Very ambiguous ending that I have obsessed over. I think the main thing that drew me back to the film the first time was obsessively trying to figure out can Caleb get out of the room? Right. And what are all are there any little hidden signs for how long he could survive and all that? That's a whole other conversation. The ambiguity is the point. Similar thing here. I took it that maybe they do this a few times, maybe not, or maybe they just keep doing it over and over, but at least they still get to be together. As long as they can still manage the rest of their life, mm -hmm. like still do what job they have to do. We see her still at her job. Mm -hmm. She's doing okay. We only see him right after he got a race. So we don't know if he's going to bounce back into something more normal. Yeah. And, and the literalisms like that are, are another one of those things where, as a much younger person with this film, those are the details that mattered most. How would this work for your life? How could you keep doing your job if anything about your job was connected to you were thinking of your ex when you learned it? Anything like that. Mm -hmm. These days, I always kind of just appreciate more the, the meaning of what a film is going for, the issues it's looking at, right. even if you take the sci-fi out. If you take it too literally, it doesn't hold up. Mm. That's kind of true of all three of these. Yes. This week. If you think too much, too literally about every detail, it's like, that doesn't quite make sense, but that's not the point. Mm -hmm. Especially not in this one, because it's about, I mean, even the memory thing is they're cutting away the emotional core. That's about the emotional core of what it means. You're not supposed to necessarily be able to follow the order of events perfectly, mm -hmm. but they still make sense as you're watching it. Yeah, it's super fun to do all that stuff and... Uh, this has got to be one of the great kind of films of the, the DVD era for that. This is... Mm -hmm. I remember this and obviously, you know, Memento and a couple of others yeah. were like the films of the 2000s where like the thing to do was just revel in being able to unwrap the, the whole puzzle box frame by frame, scene by scene, skip back and forth as much as you wanted. You know, that would have been a lot right. harder in the VHS era. And this was such a good use of the medium for getting to look at the literals and the, the hidden clockwork of the film. Definitely. The rest of the minute, he's inside his building, and the mailboxes are right there. He goes to get his mail, and we don't quite see the other guy very well. He just kind of comes into frame, goes out of it again. His name is Frank, and they just acknowledge each other, which their names, and we get a wide shot where the other guy says, like, oh, shit, as he's looking at his mail, because we get a close-up on it. He's got a Valentine's card, which he tells Joel, the only Valentine's Day cards I get are from my mother. <laughs> and then his next bit of mail is mail from Lacuna which would be his notice of Clementine erasing her memory of Joel. Hmm. 
basically is holding the notification and telling Joel that, which Joel looks at it. He sees it. There's not a big pause on the moment of his acknowledgement, but the script does tell us he notices the mail from Lacuna and knows what it means because, you know, he just signed up for the same process. The address on the card is 424 East Grand. It is actually filmed at 504. Could you imagine how much security this place would need (laughs) if obviously, like many a spa in Frasier, they discourage word of mouth and things like that. But without getting too specific or literal about 2020s America, (laughs) imagine a chain of clinics, let alone one clinic run by the inventor of this process (laughs) operating. They would need, you know cyclone wire fences, machine gun nests. It would have to be in the middle of the Pentagon to last more than a week in the world we live in. Well, it would be at a compound in Alaska. Yes, that would be one way to do it too. Yeah, where it's day most of the time. Mm -hmm. This is the chopper pilot drops off the client and that's as close as he's allowed to get. Yep. Yeah, they're not driving there in a van. You have to go to them. I would love a crossover, you know, where in terms of shared universes, I want the shared eternal sunshine universe where instead of any kind of Caleb's and AI theory, Nathan is paying Tom Wilkinson's character to have Laguna mm-hmm. patients sent up to his compound and then he erases their memories after they've done Turing tests with Ava. That would work great. And that tricks them into thinking they're in time loops. That is true as well. Yeah. Because it just erases them each day. Same thing happens all over again. Yeah. This is, we could have this. You just have to erase everyone in town. They made the dark universe. They made the DCEU now, and they could have made this and it would have <laughs> cost them like 20 million. What a shame. Yeah. <laughs> that would be one way to do a time loop course as well. Yeah. If everyone, you know, gets their memories erased, then right. suddenly you've got the Phil Connors. And so the minute ends with a little more of the awkward neighbor talk as he's like, how pathetic is that? You're lucky you have Clementine, man. She is way cool which he hasn't read his postcard yet. Punch in the gut. No, not to say that. (laughs) Even the react, it's a double whammy of incredibly painful lines. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we've all been there, but it's the first, the man, I only get Valentine's from my mother. Can you think of anything more pathetic? And that's reminding Joel the life he's in for now without Clementine. And then when you think it can't get any worse, the guy name drops Clementine and just uh, such authentic. For us watching, we don't even know what, went wrong yeah this time we don't know this is earlier we don't know why they broke up we can assume from that great cut to him crying a couple minutes ago but we don't know any details yeah something's wrong and we don't know what i think we can guess like that crack in the glass next machina true like um, something's off the vibe jim carrey's giving off here it's interesting because he's i'm not sure how old he was here let's say late 30s but He's dressed very young. He's dressed very, his hair and his outfit in this. I have in my notes, actually, he's kind of dressed like Scott Pilgrim here. <laughs> he's got the fur yeah. hood turned out, up and the, uh, the shaggy hair and he's going to his hole in the wall apartment. I think that kind of also just subconsciously communicates that young person's breakup vibe. You know, he's yeah. got a traditional kind of adult married age, but he seems like a sulky teenager coming, you know, he's listening to sad songs and throwing the cassette out the car window. Yep. Even if this is your first time seeing it, I think that the, the just that teenage heartbreak vibe you get from Joel sells a lot very quickly. Right. We don't know the details, but we feel it. Yeah. It's kind of universal. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, just the other thing, you know, I'm from the Jim Carrey kid generation. I was like four or five hmm. the year Ace Ventura and the Mask and Dumb and Dumber all came out. Right. Yeah. He was the first like real chameleon actor for me. 
I was obsessed with them as a kid because that's, you know, that kid, that age, that time frame, Jim Carrey phenomenon. And then even seeing him in Batman Forever, where he's the bad guy and he's this nerd with the long red hair, that was a shocking transformation. And everything since then, you know, he's been somewhere on the spectrum of the Jim Carrey we know. It's so incredible to me that he can always just sell being this deeply sad, insecure, regular person. The look on his face at the mailboxes is so heartbreaking. And it's just, I don't know, it's it's always just impossible for me to equate him in this role with Ace Ventura. Like the, the Truman Show, everyone cites that as his big Oscar movie, but I think mm-hmm. this is... Well, that was more audience friendly, so everyone true. knew about it. Yeah, true. This, Like they say, you know, Kate Winslet's Oscar for The Reader was her Oscar for playing Clementine here. And uh, anyway, yeah, I just, I love his look. I love it, yeah, Jim Carrey's charisma, even when he's not doing anything i think is is underrated i think you know yep so especially if you know his other stuff because you know there's more going on underneath yeah yeah exactly. it sells it and and he is yeah. kind of you know a tortured artist in real life with all his any any of his entries and painting and stuff and well yeah this is probably closer to his real self yeah i'm sure it is not to do the, the, the classic cliche you know jim carrey robin williams axis of stuff but i i'm sure this is one of his it fits I, I need to see him talk more about this role, but watch Jim and Andy. Well, not this role. He's not talking about it much, but watch Jim and Andy. He talks about that a lot. Got to get to that. Cause I loved him man on the moon as well, but this again, another yeah. one that gets cited is his, as you know, his big Oscar performance when I think this is his most complex. And this is probably yeah. more interesting. Yeah. Sure. More nuance, more variety at the same time. And just real creating somebody from the I mean, like that's that's a pet thing of mine. I, I almost think at this point I'd love if the Oscars had different category. If rather than best actor and best actress, I would like best you know fictional performance and best biographical performance. And I think there's hmm. differences there. Nice. So not everyone uh, agrees with that, but I'd I, it would just be great not to have the biopics competing with roles like this, where it's completely original character that you're saying original things about, and you can't you don't you know have to look up oh well that that was this time yeah. And then they leave out comedies and horror films and everything else. You need room for all that. Yes, that would the uh, the horror erasure would would be greatly served by that. You could have you know the Elizabeth Mosses and Florence Pugh's not erased by a lot of the big biopics. Mm-hmm. And then they'd be more likely to make more mainstream horror films. We're really cooking this with big actors. This is a this is a nice world. I think we're envisioning for the future. I think this is worthy of the uh, the optimistic pre ex machina <laughs> future. This would have been if Harambe had lived, we'd have the Kaufman Cinematic <laughs> Universe. That's the trigger. Yeah, that's the, uh, the that Swayze dying a few years earlier. I think as well yeah. that really derailed things. Uh, Anything else? Charlie Kaufman in general, he's mostly been a one and done for me. Okay. I, I still haven't seen all of his stuff. I really would like to see uh, Synecdoche. Synecdoche, New York. Yeah. Because I've had a lot of people recommend that to me personally. One of my favorite films is, is a film called Mr. Nobody, which I don't know if you know it. Yeah. So that's... Yes. Yeah. And, and Jared Leto factor aside, put yourself in the 2009 mindset plays with time loop type stuff and that. Yep. But anyway, so a lot of people that I've recommended Mr. Nobody to who loved it told me I need to watch Synecdoche, New York. I haven't gotten around to it because I'm a total mess. <laughs> but uh and I'm terrible, terrible at those things. But I do get around to these things after years. The film that I think 
of his that I connect most to this and to the other films in the Lem Drop trilogy would be I'm Thinking of Ending Things, yeah. his most recent one. That was an interesting one because so it's it's based on a novel that's not that long, like 150 pages. Right. And have you have you read it? I haven't read it. No. The, the novel's basically horror and it reads like a Reddit style scary story from huh. the perspective of the unnamed female lead in it. And it's who doesn't exist. Yeah. And it's a, <laughs> it's a great read. But I just felt the ending was just whatever. I was like, oh, I was really enjoying this realistic, creepy, mysterious thriller. And there's nothing bizarre in it really until there's nothing like that seems supernatural until the last like 20 or so pages when they're chasing through the school. It's just this really disturbing horror thing where her boyfriend's acting weird, his family members are weird, all of that. It it was a good read. But the, the film I thought was way better and way more special and wasn't horror. It was much more of this weird drama, comedy, mm-hmm. Charlie Coffin. Yeah. What I would say is I'm thinking of ending things is like an opposite eternal sunshine. It's remembering a whole lifetime with somebody you were never with instead of forgetting a lifetime right. with somebody you were with. And same kinds of shifting transitions with, you know, remembering the parents at different ages and remembering being different sizes and all those things that are done in this subtle dreamlike way. And that was kind of the, one of the better examples I've seen of a director who made an incredible film like Eternal Sunshine at one point and made another really, really good film with a lot of the same ingredients a full 17 years later without feeling like they were just a shadow of themselves or anything like that and managed to say new things and, and really make you think and feel and stick with you. Yeah. So if people want to hear you talk about other movies, where can they do so? Well, if uh, you can stand anymore, it would mm-hmm. be at the Dick Tracy Minute podcast. It is a film minute podcast like this. Me and my friend Rob O'Connor from the All-Star Superfan podcast. We talk about 1990s Dick Tracy one minute at a time. Great, outrageously colorful comic book movie that Warren Beatty directed, produced, starred in. If you've never seen it, check it out because it's unbelievable. If you want to see something that looks a million times better than anything now with with no CGI, it's all costumes, makeup, all that stuff. And if you have seen it and, you know, it's a lot of people you talk to, they saw it as a kid. When you're a kid, every yeah. everything seems great. Mm-hmm. Revisiting a lot of stuff from that, it's like, how did they make this? This is insane. Uh, the amount of effort that people think back on it, similar to the Super Mario Brothers movie or something. It is outrageous. Dick Tracy minute at Instagram. Check us out there. We have a lot of fun and hopefully we will get Professor Black on the show at some point as well. Yes. Thank you so much for letting me come ramble on your three podcasts because I'm a big fan and this has been a dream. Thank you for listening. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for Minutia Ex Machina, every Wednesday for the Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute, and every Thursday for more Eternal Sunshine. And you can follow all three shows on one feed. Just search an existential trilogy. Follow this show on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Spotless Minute. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. Also, you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time. This is it, Joel. Gonna be gone soon. Okay, we're sorry. I know. What do we do? Look, we're going off. Can you hear me? I don't want this anymore.